Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data-Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of StoryIQ, Dominic Bohan. And today, we're going to hear about data-driven AI solutions for business efficiency. Joining us today from Habu, a global leader in data cleanroom software, is their CEO, Matt Kilmartin, and their CPO, Matthew Karasik. So Habu is a global leader in cleanroom software, enabling companies to benefit from the value of data without the risk. Habu connects data internally and externally with other departments, partners, and customers, providing privacy-safe, compliant ways for better collaboration, decision-making, and results. And today, Matt, Matthew, and I are going to discuss AI data in clean rooms. Okay, here's my conversation with Matt Kilmartin, the CEO at Habu, and Matthew Karasik, the CPO at Habu. Matt and Matthew, thanks for joining us today on the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Can we start off today with what is a data clean room and how it functions in ensuring privacy and compliance, as well as data collaboration? Yeah, for sure. Probably start by saying it's a data clean room is maybe a little bit of a misnomer because a room is, feels like a physical place and that's not what we do at all. What we basically do is we help companies collaborate with their partners' data without having to move or copy the data. And so if you think of um, a company like TripAdvisor, who has a lot of travel data, obviously people want to get access to that data. TripAdvisor is not going to give them their data. They use Habu to provide a privacy-safe environment for people to gain access to their data. So that's really what a data clean room is, is allowing two parties who have common business interests to collaborate on data without giving the data to each other. Okay but they are giving some of the data. So how does that work in terms yeah. of making sure that uh, the, the third party can see only the right data? And I suppose that's where the name clean comes from. Yeah, well, th that's part of what Abu does, right? And so when I say give, I'm talking about physically copying and moving. And so, yes, you are granting access to a certain view of the data to produce a certain outcome. And that's exactly what Habu's software does is being able to have a compliance and privacy layer to let the data owner control what aspects of the data they're sharing and what analytic workloads that they allow on that data. Okay, makes sense. So you work with them to set up what those controls are and what's passed through into the clean room. Well, maybe if it'd be helpful, Matt, maybe just walk through sort of the three layers of our product just to sort of help fixed ideas. I think that might be a, a great way to help him understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And so what people are doing is they're using our platform to author and implement analytical use cases that use each other's data models or code without ever actually giving each other access to it saying, hey, this analytical use case we all agree can happen. It's good. We give them the tooling to have that and only that occur 
with privacy and governance all, all along the way. And so there's sort of three core obstacles Habu's platform overcomes for customers and their collaboration partners. The first is the integration layer, which is, listen, parties aren't going to collaborate with each other only if they have a common tech stack, only if they use the same data warehouse or the same cloud. So our integration layer lets our platform go to where the data exists versus asking anyone to send, ship, or copy data to a central place. And so that's the integration layer that lets us connect to, to where data models and code live. The next is the privacy and governance layer. On the governance side, this is you know providing the transparency and control such that only what all parties agree to can occur and nothing else can occur. And with the privacy controls in place to stay compliant, to honor the privacy promises to its consumers and stay on the right side of you know, regulation and, and, and laws to do it the right way. And then the last layer is the analytical layer, the use cases where these use cases can get authored, implemented, executed, and automated in a no-code, low-code way to make it really, really easy to get the insights and outcomes out of that data with all that privacy and governance in place. Okay, makes sense. So the analytical layer where all the good stuff happens are we saying that that happens within Habu? So the third party who doesn't own the data is not able to download it all, for example? Yeah, often both parties may be bringing you know, data to the equation, right? It may be sort of an analytical a query that does a join on both parties' data. What we're saying in that analytical layer is we connect out to where the data exists and then at runtime, we're able to orchestrate it so that query or that training of an ML model or that using of a model occurs in a protected, ephemeral way. And then the output is created and then, and then everything in the middle goes away and source data stays exactly where it is the whole time. Okay, cool. Let me see if I understand this. So let's say we go with the TripAdvisor example, right? TripAdvisor's got all this data on their customers and the trips they might've booked. And so presumably they don't want a third party they're collaborating with that's helping them build a model, let's say, to predict when our customers are more likely to book flights, just for argument's sake. So they don't want all that information about like their email address, their age, date of birth, credit card details passed through. So they can set up through the integration, privacy, and governance, and analytics layer, a way to get the data into the clean room, and then the third party they're collaborating with will just see the outputs of the model, but they'll never be able to touch that precious customer data about each individual row, let's say, each individual person. That's exactly right. They're able to use those raw materials without ever getting access to them, and what comes out is privacy-safe, protected, aggregate you know, insights. Okay, that sounds great. So as a, as a data analyst, the first question that comes to my mind is when I'm trying to solve a problem with data, I often want to expect row by row. So I'm building a model and I go, hey, something doesn't look right. Can we see if that customer is based in Los Angeles or if that customer is 37 years old? And if the third party is building such a model, how could they get access to details like that that they might need to build a good model. Yep, absolutely. 
In this case, they're not going to go be able to pull up that row, that row of data. What the, they can do is get, you know, in privacy safe ways, the size and shape of the data. You know, what's the distribution? What's the size of what it is I'm looking at? What are these outliers? All with the ability to inject, you know, differential privacy and noise and enforce came in so it's privacy safe. So the model comes out. I was able to do that EDA, that that data, you know, exploratory data analysis, and then run this without ever actually accessing the data. And what could come out in this case is a model, is a trained model. Out comes a pickle file with the with the JSON stats of the coefficients and the R squared and all of that. Okay. So in the case where they needed to see some detail, they might just have to reach out to the actual data owner. And we're saying, look, that's a good thing. We'd rather a little bit of uh, interaction like that. It is a collaboration rather than them being able to see everything. Yeah, I mean, the reality is if you put yourself in the shoes of a, I mean, we could, you know, a lot of our customers are very large media companies that have a lot of consumer data on, on you know, connect CTV data, retailers, financial services companies, right? And if you put yourself in a you know, Kroger, for example, which is second largest grocer in the United States as a customer, you know, Kroger has a ton of loyalty data and they have a ton of transaction data. Yes, of course, they want to help brands sell more product, but A, being able to expose that granular of a level you're talking about introduces some privacy risk for Kroger, right? And also there's some business interest in terms of that's part of their, you know, one of their key assets. And so do they really want to share all of that data with you know, a Procter and Gamble or whoever, right? So there's both, there's two sort of considerations there. But the good news is that, you know, the solutions like Habu basically give them the ability to expose certain aspects of it in a privacy safe way to produce better business outcomes for their key partners as well. And so, you know, when Matt was talking about, you know, people coming with models or different data sets, like oftentimes, like a lot of the you know, one of the big trends right now is first-party data. Everyone's trying to build up first-party data. Being able to sort of, you know, a CPG, being able to take their first-party data and connect it with different, you know, media partners or different retailers where, where a lot of the transactions are happening is incredibly valuable. And so it's a little bit of a paradigm shift uh, in terms of what you're talking about, being able to get to like that exact location of that user. But at the end of the day, it's way better than the olden days of, you know, the abstraction layer of middlemen companies sort of, you know, making a lot of this opaque. And it's important to add, right, that yes, it is, of course, that an analyst wants access to the actual raw data. And this is one step removed with good reason. That being said, that, you know, that sacrifice, if you will, comes with by far the best benefit imaginable, which is using this, you now have access to more data than ever before in a future-proofed way. Now all the people who have data that could be useful to you, where if you had called them historically and said, hey, can I use that data to train a new model? The answer would have been, of course mm -hmm. not. Like, it's not because I don't like that model. It's what else you could do if I give you this data. Now that there's these guardrails in place, these technical guarantees, you now have access to more data than you've ever had. So overall positive for the analyst, and we don't end up in court, which sounds good to me. All good. Okay, so we will get to AI in just a moment and how that's helping. But first, can you share some stories? Either if you can share the names involved, that's great. But you could uh, tell us in an anonymized way just what industry they were in of successful use cases that have been powerful with these data clean rooms. Yeah, 
Actually, I mentioned two customers already, TripAdvisor and, and Kroger. I think one of our big successes is Disney. Disney has a, you know, they have Hulu, they have ESPN, they have Disney Plus, tremendous amount of first-party data on consumers' entertainment, and, you know, viewing habits and interests and travel with parks and resorts. And so what Disney's done is Disney, you know, obviously ESPN, Hulu, all those, you know, Disney Plus make money based on advertising. And so what they do is they let one of their main uh, use cases, which has proven to be very valuable for them and also for their advertising partners, is they let, before an advertising partner runs an actual campaign, they'll let the advertiser take whatever seed audience they have, data set, and basically be able to query it against Disney's data, and Disney will, will enrich that data set as well so that they can understand what sort of creative or advertising strategy they might want to have, you know, based on what they learn about those consumers. So that's one example. Another great example is LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a customer. Obviously, LinkedIn has a tremendous amount of data on business professionals. They have a variety of different businesses. And one of the main value drivers for LinkedIn is being able to let people do some of those use cases I talked about in terms of you know profile enrichment, but also being able to measure sort of the effectiveness in terms of you know the impact of money you're spending with LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is, we're actually doing some super innovative things with LinkedIn on top of Azure Confidential Compute, where by sort of LinkedIn partners are able to do analytics on their data as well and, and drive, you know, better outcomes. So industries like LinkedIn's a major B2B platform, financial services is, is a big one for us as well, media entertainment, retail, travel. So I, yeah, I think that the way we sometimes think about the market is one to many, meaning a data set that is very valuable, that has applicability to many different parties. Those are typically great customers for Havu. I can keep going with the stories, by the way, if there's more. I can fill the rest of the time with that if you want. Yeah, it, I don't know if you have any questions on the ones I shared there. Or... Yeah, we might come back to some more stories in the next episode. So I think for now, we've got a great view of what is a clean room, how it can be useful. And we've seen some examples of the value and use cases. And uh, let's move to how can AI help? Yeah, happy to take that. And I think that there's two broad buckets of how AI fits in here. One is how AI can be used to fuel even more of the insights and outcomes that can be gained from collaborative, you know, collaborations and collaborative data analytical use cases here. And so what that means is when two parties or three parties or N parties come into a collaboration together, what they're saying is, hey, you know, for the right use cases that all parties are, find mutually beneficial and they're privacy compliant, we want to go implement those. AI helps all of these parties discover the art of the possible and then implement the art of the possible. So we've already embedded AI into the platform such that the system is able to look at what the types of data all parties are bringing and starts to show these end users, hey, here are the types of questions this data can answer without having to have an analyst first think about what are the queries I should write, right? And so it starts to show you, hey, here are KPIs we can see, here are trends we can track, what questions do you have of this data? And then once the right ones are discovered, to be able to then implement them so that you know the code is already written, the templates are already implemented, all with those privacy controls in place. And so really just increasing the velocity 
of innovation that occurs in these collaborations by just drastically increasing the velocity that these new use cases are identified and implemented. And so really as a, as a helper, right? And so that's one big broad bucket. The second big bucket is to use collaborations to create AI, right? And what we mean by that here is, you know, LLMs and their use are absolutely incredible, right? At the same time though, as enterprise start to ask themselves the question, how can we use LLMs and AI ourselves? The big question is how to make them context aware, how to make these models context aware. And so what we mean by that is if you are a company that creates and sells widgets and you were to then go ask an LL model, hey, our widget C, you know, which of our retail partners in which regions are selling more of widget C than widget B in Q3? The LLM won't have any idea what any of that means. It doesn't know what this widget is. It doesn't know when my Q3 starts. So that doesn't make any sense. So what enterprises are quickly doing is trying to figure out how do I tune my own LLM and my own AI so that is context aware. It does know what I mean by widget A and widget C in Q3 because I've trained it with data that represents my context. And that's awesome. The key though is not all of your context exists exclusively in your data. Often it also exists in the intersection of your data and your partner's data. So if I'm a manufacturer of widget A and widget C, a lot of the answers in context I need are also within the retailers who carry my widgets in their stores. And so the only way to get context into my context where LLMs in a safe way that utilizes my partner's data is in clean rooms. So that's the second bucket is using clean rooms to create context aware LLMs with the most amount of data possible. This being implemented. So yeah, are you talking about AI models in general or specifically you've already seen clients develop their own LLMs based on data that provides information about the context of their industry and their partner's industry and use cases? Yeah, so it's early innings, right? You know, all of this is a pretty new wave. We very, very quickly see enterprises absolutely investing heavily in creating their own context-aware models. And so adding the data they get from clean rooms is absolutely getting explored, but it's still early days to see how that gets used and tuned over time. Makes sense. Cool. Anything else you wanted to share about AI data in clean rooms? I can give some specific examples of sort of that former bucket of where the types of things that people are able to do in the platform using AI to sort of be more productive in there. So some examples are when a user is looking at output from clean rooms, they're looking at reports and dashboards, and they're seeing sort of just the answers to sort of questions. One of the places we've embedded AI is right there. You can now start to ask the data essentially questions. You know, can you alert me anytime any of my media campaigns are spending more than 20% of my budget above my optimal frequency, for example? And now all of a sudden the system will know how to, where to find that data and how to alert me. Another example is I want to write a new analytic 
that's going to show me the overlap between my loyalty customers and my partner's members. And I want AI to go ahead and just write that query for me so that I don't have to go and spend all that time doing that. We've added that. Next is, and now how am I going to describe what this query does to my partner who's going to have to opt their data set into this? And so we allow AI to say, to help craft those descriptions anywhere from for business users all the way to deeply technical users and everything in between. And so just making people more productive with this tooling has already been a game changer for user behavior and, and sort of productivity in the platform. I can imagine. Starting with the simplest use case, does this mean that a non-technical user who's never written a line of code can go into Habu and once the appropriate permissions and controls are set up, they could say in natural language, give me this, show me the trend for XYZ over the last few months, and it can spit it out based on data from both partners. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's awesome. Okay. Thanks. So to round out this episode, so today we've discussed what is a data clean room? And to me, could I describe it as a, almost like an escrow service that you provide to keep the data secure between both parties so that they can both trust that it's going to be shared in a safe and compliant way? I guess I'd say it removes the need for an escrow service. An escrow service would be, is sort of the old school way of doing mm. it. Of You're neutral. We'll both trust you. We'll give you all of our stuff. And now you have it. Our approach is you don't need to give anyone any of their stuff. Leave it right where it is. We'll connect to it. And then at runtime with a whole number of technical guarantees in place, we will. the system will only access the minimum data required for the use case all parties have agreed to. Make it so that it is only accessible for that use case and that use case only automatically dynamically change code at runtime to implement all the privacy controls put the output where all parties agree and then everything in the middle disappears and so it's an escrow service that is exclusively with technical guarantees not simply being a neutral company mm, you need to trust that makes sense yeah the escrow analogy is a little bit off because with an escrow service you're trusting the escrow people to hold your stuff Correct. whereas they don't actually have to trust you because you can't even access it Correct. That's exactly right. I mean, Matt explained the, the LinkedIn and app example earlier, right? LinkedIn, we're all on LinkedIn, right? All of our, our profile and LinkedIn's entire business is based on that economic graph they have. They have zero risk tolerance for that data mm. being, you know, leaked or shared. And so they have a zero trust tolerance which is, you know, why, again, you know, we added the notion of confidential compute such that, you know, the only way anything occurs is if it's a guaranteed piece of hardware executing an already understood approved piece of code and nothing else, not even we can access it in, the, in that environment. So it's a technical guarantee escrow versus a trusted escrow. That makes sense. Okay. So it's a technical guarantee that the right people can access the right data. We then talked about use cases. We had examples like LinkedIn and Disney. And the common thread was if you've got valuable first party data that you could benefit from having lots of different parties collaborate with, you can get huge value from using a clean room and share just the right information with the right people and work on all sorts of cool projects together. And then lastly, we looked at AI and we looked at two major use cases. 
making it easier to discover insights and already easy enough for people to do just natural language queries on data from multiple collaborators. What was the last major use case? It was slightly different. Creating context-aware AI fueled by data from you and your partners. The second use case is creating context-aware AI from data from multiple different parties where you can fine-tune your own models And that's, of course, still in its infancy with uh, large language models only being a relatively recent thing that we've all got access to. Okay. That's it. All right. Thanks for sharing about AI data in clean rooms. Okay. Thanks to Matt Kilmartin, CEO at Habu, and Matthew Karasik, CPO at Habu. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Matt, Matthew, and I are going to discuss utilizing data to drive smart business outcomes. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Matt and Matthew, you can find a link to their LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact them on Twitter where their handle is at Matt Kilmartin and at Matt Karasik or visit their company website, habu.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head on over to datadrivenpod.com. We've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your most compelling use cases of business data, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always contact me directly at linkedin.com slash IN slash Dominic Bohan, or just search for Dominic Bohan on LinkedIn. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But remember, until next time, when it comes to data, less is more.